0: Welcome to Short Stories, a production of AdventuresInAudio.net. in Audio.net. I'm Robert Crandall. I'm glad to have you with me for this episode. On this episode, a very chilling nightmare, wow, it is something, from a listener and a story about a bell, yes, a bell, and death. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you, have you ever had an MRI done? You know, one of those medical imaging things, you know, I guess they put you in a tube or something and take pictures of uh, your body. Well, I'm going to get one soon for my right shoulder, and I have heard many horror stories about them, mainly people who get claustrophobic or who who are claustrophobic. Have had a hard time. I don't think I'm claustrophobic. I don't know. (laughs) But we'll find out, I guess. And they've had a very unpleasant experience. Would that be, I don't know about these things, but would that be a psychotic episode if you had a problem in an MRI? I I don't know. But uh, anyway, I'll let you know how that goes my right shoulder's giving me some some problems had had some x-rays done and so now they want to do an mri and we we'll, we'll see what uh, what goes from there and uh, wow on that subject um paul from germany welcome germany we love you <laughs> and uh he said in uh, The Nightmare, but in his correspondence, he said fresh oranges are totally more healthy than juice, referring to an episode a while back when I was sick and I mentioned that I had taken an orange. I was at the store and it was begging me to buy it. I was I saw the oranges there and I started to crave an orange, and so I bought one and I I felt a, a difference and so Paul and so I said is the fruit better than the juice and so Paul writes fresh oranges are totally more healthy than juice so it's a good thing I don't do a health podcast people uh, would die so maybe I should start listening to, <laughs> to one but anyhow uh, so that's what's happening Uh, On that front, and now Paul writes, he says, good afternoon, Robert, I'm just listening to Berenice from Edgar Allan Poe on my train to Cologne in Germany. And I thought I could use the time to tell you about the nightmare I have had time and time again. And I really hope my English is understandable. I'll try my best. And he says, I normally can't remember my dreams, but this one is kind of special. And I know what you mean. I have had problems with that, too. Uh, you, you, you have a nightmare or a dream or something, and you can't remember it uh, the following day. Uh, so, and if you're like that and you've had a dream, you can kind of reconstruct it and send it in, and that's that's Okay. We love to hear about them. And so, and Paul, your English is just fine. I wouldn't worry about it. And he says, I hope you're having a good day and I wish you the best. Well, thank you, uh, Paul. We wish you the best too. And now, uh, this nightmare. First of all, some context. Paul writes, I have two little sisters. One is 21, the other is 12. in my dream i still live in my parents house and wake up in the middle of the night i get up and start walking around the house when i get to the living room downstairs i hear water running somewhere i go check the kitchen sink but nothing then i check the bathroom When I open the door, a wave of water hits me and I fall to the ground. From that point on, the water is rising very fast and I try to warn the others, but no one seems to hear my shouting. I can't open any of their room doors. I always wake up with the picture of my little sister drifting dead in front of me. Oh, my God. Wow, is that terrifying. I've not had a nightmare with dead people in it. And to see a family member, especially a child, is unnerving, to say the least. Thank you, Paul, for sending in your nightmare. And remember, all of the episodes that feature a nightmare, a listener nightmare, have their own page on our website, and if you sent in a nightmare in that episode featuring your nightmare is not on that page, let me know, and I'll, I'll fix that. I'll find it. But uh, I think I got them all. But anyway, thank you so much, Paul. That is dreadful. But and remember, you can send your nightmare to my horrible dream at gmail.com and now for our feature story this is a story about a bell that brings back the dead but it kills someone to take the place of the revived I hope you enjoy Ring Once for Death by Robert Arthur. The power of the old gods was certainly nothing for Mark and Edith, a modern 20th century couple, to worry about. After all, everybody dies. Twenty years had left no trace inside Sam Key's little shop on Mott Street. There were the same dusty jars of ginseng root and tiger's whiskers, the same little bronze buddhas, the same gem cracks mixed with fine jade. Edith Williams gave a little murmur of pleasure as the door shut behind them. Mark, she said, it hasn't changed. It doesn't look as if a thing has been sold since we were here on our honeymoon. It certainly doesn't, Dr. Mark Williams agreed, moving down the narrow aisle behind her. If someone hadn't told us Sam Key was dead, I'd believed we'd step back 20 years in time, like they do in those scientific stories young David reads. We must buy something, his wife said, for a 20th anniversary present for me. "'perhaps a bell?' "'From the shadowy depths of the shop "'a young man emerged, "'American in dress and manner, "'despite the oriental contours "'of his face and eyes. "'Good evening,' he said. "'May I show you something? "'We think we want a bell,' "'Dr. Williams chuckled. "'But we aren't quite sure. "'Your Sam Key's son?' "'Sam Key, Jr. My Honored Father passed to the halls of his ancestors five years ago. I could just say that he died,' black eyes twinkled, but customers like the more flowery mode of speech. They think it's quaint. "'I think it's just nice, not quaint at all,' Edith Williams declared. "'We're sorry your father is dead. We'd hope to see him again.' Twenty years ago, when we were a very broke young couple on a honeymoon, he sold us a wonderful rose crystal necklace for half price. I'm sure he still made a profit. The black eyes twinkled again. But if you'd like a bell, here are some temple bells, camel bells, dinner bells. But even as he spoke, Edith Williams' hand darted to something at the back of the shelf. A bell carved out of crystal, she exclaimed. And rose crystal at that. What could be more perfect? A rose crystal wedding present and a rose crystal anniversary present. The young man half stretched out his hand. You don't want that one, he said. It's broken. Broken? Edith Williams rubbed off the dust and held the lovely bell shape of crystal, the size of a pear, to the light. It looks perfect to me. I mean, it's not complete. Something of the American had vanished from the young man. It has no clapper. It will not ring. Why, that's right. Mark Williams took the bell. The clapper's missing. We can have another clapper made, his wife declared. That is if the original can't be found. The young Chinese shook his head. The bell and the clapper were deliberately separated by my father twenty years ago. He hesitated and then added, My father was afraid of this bell. Afraid of it? Mark Williams raised his eyebrows. The other hesitated again. It will probably sound like a story for tourists, he said, but my father believed it. This bell was supposedly stolen from the temple of a sect of Buddhists somewhere in the mountains of China's interior, just as many Occidentals believe that the Christian Judgment Day will be heralded by a blast on St. Peter's trumpet. So this small sect is said to believe that when a bell like this one is rung, a bell carved from a single piece of rose crystal and consecrated by ceremonies lasting ten years. Any dead within the sound of it will rise and live again. Heavenly, Edith Williams cried, and no pun intended, Mark, think what a help this bell will be in your practice when we make it ring again. To the Chinese, she added, smiling, I'm just teasing him. My husband is really a very fine surgeon. The other bowed his head. I must tell you, he said, you will not be able to make it ring. Only the original clapper carved from the same block of rose crystal will ring it. That's why my father separated them. Again he hesitated. I have told you only half of what my father told me. He said that though it defeats death, death cannot be defeated. Robbed of his chosen victim, he takes another in its place. Thus, when the bell was used in the temple of its origin, let us say when a high priest or chief had died, a slave or servant was placed handy for death to take when he had been forced to relinquish his grasp upon the important one. He smiled, shook his head. There, he said, a preposterous story. Now, if you wish it, the bell is ten dollars, plus, of course, sales tax." THE STORY ALONE IS WORTH MORE, DR. WILLIAMS DECLARED. I THINK WE'D BETTER HAVE IT SENT, HADN'T WE, EDITH? IT WILL BE SAFER IN THE MAIL THAN IN OUR SUITCASE. SENT? HIS WIFE SEEMED TO COME OUT OF SOME DEEP FEMININE MEDITATION. OF COURSE, AND AS FOR IT'S NOT RINGING, I SHALL MAKE IT RING. I KNOW I SHALL. If the story is true, Mark Williams murmured, I hope not. The package came on Saturday morning when Mark Williams was catching up on the latest medical publications in his untidy book-lined study. He heard Edith unwrapping paper in the hall outside. Then she came in with the rose crystal bell in her hand. Mark, it's here, she said. Now, to make it ring, she plumped herself down beside his desk. He took the bell and reached for a silver pencil. Just for the sake of curiosity, he remarked, and not because I believe the delightful sales talk we were given. Let's see if it will ring when I tap. It should, you know. He tapped the lip of the bell. A muted thunk was the only response. Then he tried with a coin, a paper knife, and the bottom of a glass. In each instance, the resulting sound was nothing like a bell ringing. If you're finished, Mark, Edith said then, with a feminine tolerance. Let me show you how it's done. Gladly, her husband agreed. He took the bell and turned away for a moment. Then she shook the bell vigorously. A clear, sweet ringing shivered through the room, so thin and ethereal that small involuntary shivers crawled up his spine. Good Lord, he exclaimed. How did you do that? I just put the clapper back in place with some thread, Edith told him. A clapper. He struck his forehead with his palm. Don't tell me, a crystal necklace we bought twenty years ago. Of course, her tone was composed. As soon as young Sam Key told us about his father separating the clapper and the bell, I remembered the central crystal pendant on my necklace. It is shaped like a bell clapper. We mentioned it once. I guessed right away we had the missing clapper, but I didn't say so. I wanted to score on you, Mark, she said, smiling affectionately. And because, you know, I had a queer feeling that Sam Key Jr., wouldn't let us have the bell if he guessed we had the clapper. I don't think he would. Mark Williams picked up his pipe and rubbed the bowl with his thumb. Yet he didn't really believe that story he told us any more than we do. No, but his father did, and if old Sam Key had told us, remember how wrinkled and wise he seemed? I DO BELIEVE WE'D HAVE BELIEVED HIS STORY. YOU'RE PROBABLY RIGHT. DR. WILLIAMS RANG THE BELL AND WAITED. THE THIN, SWEET SOUND SEEMED TO HANG IN THE AIR A LONG MOMENT, THEN WAS GONE. No, nope, HE SAID. NOTHING HAPPENED, ALTHOUGH, OF COURSE, THAT MAY BE BECAUSE THERE WAS NO deceased AROUND TO RESPOND. I'm not sure I feel like joking about this story. A small frown gathered on Edith's forehead. I had planned to use the bell as a dinner bell and to tell the story to our guest. But now I'm not sure. Frowning, she stared at the bell until the ringing of the telephone in the hall brought her out of her abstraction. Sit still, I'll answer. She hurried out. Dr. Williams, turning the rose-crystal bell over in his hand, could hear the sudden tension in her voice as she answered. He was on his feet when she re-entered. An emergency operation at the hospital, she sighed. Nice young man, automobile accident, fracture of the skull, Dr. Amos says. He wouldn't have disturbed you, but you're the only brain man in town with Dr. Hendricks away on vacation. I know. He was already in the hall, reaching for his hat. Man's work is from sun to sun, but a doctor's work is never done, he misquoted. I'll drive you, Edith followed him out. You sit back and relax for another ten minutes. Two hours later, as they drove homeward, the traffic was light, which was fortunate. More than once Mark, in a frowning abstraction, found himself on the left of the center line and had to pull back into his own lane. He had lost patience before, but never without a feeling of personal defeat. Edith said he put too much of himself into every operation. Perhaps he did, and yet, no, there was every reason why the young man should have lived. Yet, Just as Mark Williams had felt that he had been successful, the patient had died. In 20 years of marriage, Edith Williams had learned to read his thoughts at times. Now she put a hand comfortingly on his arm. These things happen, darling, she said. You know that. A doctor can only do so much. Some of the job always remains in the hands of nature and she does play tricks at times. Yes, confound it, I know it. Her husband growled. But I resent losing that lad. There was no valid reason for it, unless there was some complication I overlooked. He shook his head, scowling. I ordered an autopsy. But, yes, I'm going to do that autopsy myself. I'm going to turn back now. I have to know. He pulled abruptly to the left to swing into a side road and turn. Edith Williams never saw the car that hit them. She heard the frantic blare of a horn and a scream of brakes, and in a frozen instant realized that there had been someone behind them, about to pass. Then the impact came, throwing her forward into the windshield and unconsciousness edith williams opened her eyes even before she realized that she was lying on the ground and that the figure bending over her was a state trooper she remembered the crash her head hurt but there was no confusion in her mind automatically even as she tried to sit up she accepted the fact that there had been a crash help had come and she must have been unconscious for several minutes at least. Hey, lady, take it easy, the trooper protested. You had a bad bump. You gotta lie still till the ambulance gets here. It'll be along in five minutes. Mark, Edith said, paying no attention. My husband, is he all right? Now, lady, please, he's being taken care of. You, but she was not listening. Holding to his arm, she pulled herself to a sitting position. She saw their car on its side some yards away. Other cars pulled up around them, a little knot of staring people, saw them and dismissed them. Her gaze found her husband, lying on the ground a few feet away, a coat folded beneath his head. Mark was dead. She had been a doctor's wife for twenty years, and before that, a nurse. She knew death when she saw it mark the word was spoken to herself but the trooper took it for a question yes lady he said he's dead he was still breathing when i got here but he died two or three minutes ago she got to her knees her only thought was to reach his side she scrambled across the few feet of ground to him still on her knees and crouched beside him fumbling for his pulse, there was none, there was nothing, just a man who had been alive and now was dead, behind her she heard a voice raised, she turned, a large disheveled man was standing beside the trooper, talking loudly, I was an officer, he was saying, I'm telling you again, it wasn't my fault, The guy pulled up sharp left right in front of me. Not a thing I could do. It's a wonder we weren't all three of us killed. You can see by the marks on their car, it wasn't my fault. Edith Williams closed her mind to the voice. She let Mark's hand lie in her lap as she fumbled in her bag, which was somehow still clutched to her fingers. She groped for a handkerchief to stem the tears which would not be held back. Something was in the way, something smooth and hard and cold. She drew it out and heard the thin, sweet tinkle of the crystal bell. She must have dropped it automatically into her bag as they were preparing to leave the house. The hand in her lap moved. She gasped and bent over as her husband's eyes opened. Mark, she whispered. Mark, darling, Edith, Mark Williams said with an effort. Sorry, damn careless of me, thinking of the hospital. You're alive, she said. You're alive. Oh, darling, darling, lie still. The ambulance will be here any second. Ambulance, he protested. I'm all right now. Help me sit up. But Mark, just a bump on the head. He struggled to sit up. The state trooper came over. Easy, buddy, easy, he said, his voice awed. We thought you were gone. Now let's not lose you a second time. His mouth was tight. Hey, I'm sure glad you're all right, the red-faced man said in a rush of words. Phew, fellow, you had me all upset even though it wasn't my fault. I mean, how's a guy gonna keep from hitting you when... Catch him, Mark Williams cried, but the trooper was too late. The other man plunged forward to the ground and lie where he had fallen without quivering. The clock on the hall struck two, with muted strokes. Cautiously, Edith Williams rose on her elbow and looked down at her husband's face. His eyes opened and looked back at her. You're awake. She said unnecessarily. ''I woke up a few minutes ago,'' he answered. ''I've been lying here thinking. I'll get you another phenobarbital Dr. Amos said for you to take them and sleep until tomorrow.'' ''I know. I'll take one presently. You know, hearing that clock just now reminded me of something.'' ''Yes?'' Just before I came to this afternoon after the crash, I had a strange impression of hearing a bell ring. It sounded so loud in my ears, I opened my eyes to see where it was. A bell? Yes, just auditory hallucination, of course. But Mark... Yes? A bell did ring. I mean... I had the crystal bell in my bag, and it tinkled a little. Do you suppose? Of course not. But though he spoke swiftly, he did not sound convincing. This was a loud bell, like a great gong. But I mean, Mark, darling, a moment earlier, you had no pulse. No pulse? And you weren't breathing. Then the crystal bell tinkled, and you, you... Nonsense! I know what you're thinking, and believe me, it's nonsense. But, Mark, she spoke carefully, the driver of the other car. You had no sooner regained consciousness than he... He had a fractured skull. Dr. Williams interrupted sharply. The ambulance, in turn, diagnosed it. Skull fractures often fail to show themselves and then bingo, you keel over. That's what happened. Now let's say no more about it. Of course. In the hall, the clock struck the quarter hour. Shall I fix the phenobarbital now? Yes, no. Is David home? She hesitated a moment. No, he hasn't got back yet. As he phoned, He knows he's supposed to be in by midnight at the latest. No, he hasn't phoned, but there was a school dance tonight. That's no excuse for not phoning. He has the old car, hasn't he? Yes, you gave him the keys this morning, remember? All the more reason he should phone. Dr. Williams lay silent a moment. Two o'clock is too late for a 17-year-old boy to be out. I'll speak to him. He won't do it again. Now please, Mark, let me get you the phenobarbital. I'll stay up until David... The ringing phone, a clamor in the darkness, interrupted her. Mark Williams reached for it. The extension was beside his bed. Hello, he said. And then although she could not hear the answering voice, she felt him stiffen, and she knew as well as if she could hear the words she knew, with a mother's instinct for disaster. Yes, Dr. Williams said. Yes, I see. I understand. I'll come at once. Thank you for calling. He slid out of bed before she could stop him. An emergency call. He spoke quietly. I have to go. He began to throw on his clothes. It's David, she said. Isn't it? She sat up. Don't try to keep me from knowing. It's about David. Yes, he said. His voice was tired. David is hurt. I have to go to him. An accident. He's dead. She said it steadily. David's dead, isn't he, Mark? He came over and sat beside her and put his arms around her. Edith he said, Edith, yes, he's dead. 40 minutes ago, the car went over a curve. They have him at the county morgue. They want me to identify him. Identify him, Edith. You see, the car caught fire. I'm coming with you, she said. I'm coming with you. The taxi waited in a pool of darkness between two street lights. The long, low building which was the county morgue, a blue lamp over its door, stood below the street level. A flight of concrete steps went down to it from the sidewalk. Ten minutes before, Dr. Mark Williams had gone down those steps. Now he climbed back up them, stiffly, wearily like an old man. Edith was waiting in the taxi, sitting forward on the edge of the seat, hands clenched. As he reached the last step, she opened the door and stepped out. Mark, she asked shakily, was it? Yes, it's David. His voice was monotone. Our son, I've completed the formalities. For now, the only thing we can do is go home. I'm going to him. She tried to pass. He caught her wrist. Discreetly, the taxi driver pretended to doze. No, Edith, there's no need. You mustn't see him. He's my son, she cried. Let me go. No. What have you got under your coat? It's the bell, the rose crystal bell, she cried. I'm going to ring it where David can hear. Defiantly, she brought forth her hand, clutching the little bell. It brought you back, Mark. Now it's going to bring back David. Edith, he said in horror. You mustn't believe that's possible. You can't. Those were coincidences. Now let me have it. No, I'm going to ring it. Violently, she tried to break out of his grip. I want David back. I'm going to ring the bell. She got her hand free. The crystal bell rang in the quiet of the early morning with an eerie thinness penetrating the silence like a silver knife. There, Edith panted. I've rung it. I know you don't believe, but I do. It'll bring David back. She raised her voice. David, she called. David, son. Can you hear me? Edith, Dr. Williams groaned. You're just tormenting yourself. Come home. Please come home. Not until David has come back. David, David, can you hear me? She rang the bell again, rang it until Dr. Williams seized it. Then she let him take it. Edith, Edith, he groaned. If only you had let me come alone. Mark, listen. What? Listen, she whispered with fierce urgency. He was silent, and then fingers of horror drew themselves down his spine at the clear, youthful voice that came up to them from the darkness below. Mother, Dad, where are you? David, Edith Williams breathed. It's David let me go, I must go to him. No, Edith, her husband whispered frantically as the voice below called again. Dad, mother, are you up there? Wait for me. Let me go, she sobbed. David, where are you? We're up here, son. Edith, Mark Williams gasped. If you've ever loved me, listen to me. You mustn't go down there. David, I had to identify him by his class ring and his wallet. He was burned, terribly burned. I'm going to him. She wrenched herself free and sped for the steps up which now was coming a tall form, a shadow shrouded in the darkness. Dr. Williams, horror nodding his stomach, leaped to stop her but he slipped and fell headlong on the pavement so that she was able to pant down the stairs to meet the upcoming figure. Oh, David, she sobbed. David, hey, Mom, the boy held her steady. I'm sorry, I'm terribly sorry, but I didn't know what had happened until I got home and you weren't there, and then one of the fellows from the fraternity called me. I realized they must have made a mistake and you'd come here. And I called for a taxi to come out here. My taxi let me off at the entrance around the block and I've been looking for you down there. Poor Pete. Pete? she asked. Pete Friedberg. He was driving the old car. I lent him the keys and my driver's license. I shouldn't have, but he's older and he kept begging me. Then, then it's Pete who was killed, she gasped. Pete who was burned. Yes, Pete, I feel terrible about lending him the car, but he was supposed to be a good driver, and then them calling you and you and Dad thinking it was me. Then Mark was right. Of course he was right. She was laughing and sobbing now. It's just a bell, a pretty little bell bell. That's all. Bell? I don't follow you, Mom. Never mind. Edith Williams gasped. It's just a bell. It hasn't any powers over life and death. It doesn't bring back and it doesn't take away. But let's get back up to your father. He may be thinking that the bell, that the bell really worked. They climbed the rest of the steps. Dr. Mark Williams still lay where he had fallen, headlong on the pavement. The cab driver was bending over him, but there was nothing to be done. The crystal bell had been beneath him when he fell, and it had broken. One long, fine splinter of crystal was embedded in his heart. you've been listening to Ring Once for Death by Robert Arthur. William Arthur Ward once said, if you can imagine it, you can achieve it. If you can dream it, you can become it. Again, thank you to Paul for sending him his nightmare. And thank you for listening to me.